I would like to bring a message this afternoon titled, Angels in the Lord's Churches. Let's turn to 1 Peter chapter 5 to begin with. Our main passages will be in Revelation uh, 2 and 3, but I want to begin by looking at a very familiar passage, uh, 1 Peter chapter 5, and uh, Pastor has been going through 1 Peter, and he brought uh, a couple of messages from these first three verses. Um, I listened to him. I wasn't here, but I listened to him online. Um, and uh, in fact, last Sunday, I was driving on my way up to preach up in Estes Park, Colorado, and I listened to a message um, all the way up the canyon. And these two messages were the best messages that I've heard uh, concerning elders and what a pastor is and the responsibilities of the pastor. And then I listened to the other one um, just this last week. In fact, uh, yesterday as I was driving into men's prayer. <laughs> and it, got, it really, there were some things in there that um, it got me to thinking about and uh, dwelling on um, a couple other aspects. And that's where I get the title for the message uh, this evening, Angels in Our Churches. Uh, but let's read First Peter 5. Uh, Verse 1, it says, The elders which are among you I exhort, who am also an elder, and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. Feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraints, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind, neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being in samples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd shall appear, you shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away." One of the main things that we see in this passage, as has already been touched on, just by way of reminder, really, is this statement, feed the flock of God. And uh, as has been mentioned, in fact, uh, um, a few weeks ago, I brought a message on the importance of local church membership, and we were looking at a passage in, in Acts where Paul was addressing the elders, plural, of the church in, in Ephesus. And uh, um, they, he refers to them as the overseers. God has made you the overseers of the flock. And uh, um, as we consider the responsibility of the pastor, though, um, as has been mentioned, there are three main words that are mentioned for elder or pastor in the word of God. And if I remember right, it was only one time is it pastor and the other times it's bishop and many times it's elder. And uh, um, as we consider that, I do want to bring up this. There's there's a question there's sometimes there is, uh, you know, well, is there supposed to be a plurality of elders? And then one of the questions that comes up sometimes is, is, do we even need a pastor, so to speak? Is it okay just to have spiritual leaders in our churches? And so what I want to kind of address this morning is the importance of a pastor and also what one of the other titles is, too, in the Word of God. We have pastor, we have bishop. And we have elders. One of the other titles that is in the word of God um, that we'll see in Revelation is the word angel. The angel of the church. And that's where I get the title from. And we'll look at that in a minute. But concerning the main responsibility of the pastor to feed the flock of God. And this relates to what it is and even being an angel um, of a church. Turn to John. Let's look at Peter himself. In John chapter 21. Let's consider the instructions of the Lord to Peter. 
And of course, this is after the resurrection of Christ. And it says in, in, uh, in John 21 and verse 15, it says, So when they had dined, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest me, thou me more than these? Now remember, this is the same man who had denied Christ just days earlier. And so the Lord is challenging him. Lovest me more than these? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my lambs. Now remember, Peter, in First Peter, he's, he's addressing the, he's exhorting the elders to who Peter is writing, and he's saying, Feed the flock of God. Well, I think he, of course, he's writing by inspiration, but he also remembers what Jesus challenged him with. This is your job, Peter. You are a fisherman. I've made you a fisher of men, but now it is your responsibility to feed my lambs. He saith unto him again the second time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my sheep. He saith unto him the third time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? Peter was grieved because he said unto him the third time, Lovest thou me? And he said unto him, Lord, thou knowest all things. Thou knowest that I love thee. Jesus saith unto him, Feed my sheep. Verily I say unto thee, When thou wast young, thou girdest thyself, and walkest whither thou wouldst. But when thou shalt be old, thou shalt stretch forth thy hands, and another shall gird thee, and carry thee whither thou wouldst not. This spake he, signifying by what death he should glorify God. And when he had thus had spoken thus, he said unto him, Follow me. Then Peter, turning about, seeing the disciple whom Jesus loved following, which also leaned on his breast at supper, said, Lord, which is he that betrayeth thee? And Peter, seeing him, said to Jesus, Lord, and what shall this man do? Jesus saith unto him, If I will that he tarry till I come, what is that to thee? Follow thou me. So we see that it is Peter's responsibility here. He's been instructed to... Feed my lambs, feed my sheep. And he's instructed to follow the Lord. Well, how did this begin to play out? When did this begin to take place? Peter feeding the lambs, feeding the sheep. Well, just go right over to Acts chapter 1. And let's take a look at Peter's responsibility. We know that the church, the local church was already in existence. It was functioning. And we see Peter's responsibility very quickly. If you notice in Acts chapter 1 and verse 12, it says, this is after the ascension of the Lord. It says in, in verse 12, Then return they unto Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which, was, which is from Jerusalem a Sabbath day's journey. And when they were come in, they went up into an upper room, where abode both Peter and James and John, and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, Simon the Lotus, and Judas the brother of James. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brethren. And then notice this verse. And in those days, it doesn't say John stood up. It says, and in those days, Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples and said, the number of names together were about 120. And Peter then begins to, for the sake of time, we won't go into this, but Peter begins to then instruct them. He says, well, verse 16, Men and brethren, this scripture must needs have been fulfilled, 
And he begins to preach to them and teach them based on the word of God about how it is that um, the Holy Ghost by the mouth of David spake before concerning Judas, which was guide to them that took Jesus. And then he goes in and then he guides them through the process of selecting another apostle. And we see that Peter was then um, guiding and leading the church. It's Peter, even though there so how many elders were in this congregation? Well, there's all those apostles that were mentioned up there, right? Um, there, I believe that the 70 were in this room. So if you have the 70 and you have Peter, but we see that there was a shepherd. The, I believe Peter was guiding right. and, um, and leading these men, right. these sheep. And we see that Jesus had taken Peter and specifically worked with him on feeding my lambs, feed my sheep, feed my sheep. And we see on the, uh, before the day of Pentecost, and we see on the day of Pentecost, whose message do we have given to us that's recorded? The other people were speaking, but we have recorded Peter's message. And then after that, was it not Peter who was getting beaten and arrested, and Peter was guiding and leading the church in these things? And so there was others there But Peter was the pastor, if you will, in directing that church. Now, let's go over to um, uh, Revelation. It is amazing that within Christianity, there can be so many different opinions on how it is that a church should be structured, how it is that we should, how things should be done within the church, and and do we need deacons? Do we need elders? Do we need pastors? And so forth. And, and the question whether or not a church even needs a pastor is, is mind-boggling to me when you see how plain it is in the Word of God. Now, as we consi- have considered, the church in Ephesus had elders, plural. It was a mega church. It was a big church. I believe it was what rivaled the church in Jerusalem when it was in its, in its heyday, if you will. And so it had multiple elders. And, you know, for those who consider the concept of multiple elders to be a a conflict in a way, um, this church has multiple elders, right? Two. (laughs) Right? Because um, we have pastor. He's the shepherd of this church. He's the angel of this church. There's nobody else that's the pastor of this church. He's the pastor. But concerning elders, um, the church voted three or four years whenever we came up here. It's been a while now. But to send me out as an evangelist and do the work of the ministry as an evangelist and give me the authority to baptize and so forth and uh, preach on a regular basis. And, and so I'm an elder, but that doesn't mean I'm the pastor. Churches need one right. over shepherd if you will but there can be many leaders and elders within a church as the needs arise and so forth and uh, notice here uh, we had mentioned that the church in Ephesus now it had many elders Paul addressed the to protect the flock of God over which he hath made you overseers plural but notice in Revelation after the church perhaps is even bigger it says this in Revelation 2 verse 1 Unto the, the, singular, unto the angel of the church of Ephesus, right. Now what does that mean? 
the angel. Now go down to verse 8. And unto the angel of the church in Smyrna. And 12. And unto the angel of the church in Pergamos. And so you see, when these letters were written to these churches, and it's, it's written, these are the words of God, thus saith the Lord. It's written down very specifically what these churches are, are um, doing and what they're not doing and what needs corrected. But the letter is addressed to the pastor of the church. But it's the angel of the church. And the, the word angel here just means messenger. So to the messenger of the church. Now I want you to think about how does that tie in to feed the flock? Paul's instructions to those in Ephesus, feed the flock. Peter's instructions to the elders, feed the flock. The pastor is the messenger. The God-appointed, God-sent messenger to say, thus saith the Lord. Right? This is what God has said. This is um, what we should believe. This is what we should practice. And this is what I believe the Lord has led me to preach this message See, the important thing for a pastor is to be directed by the Holy Spirit as to what God would have him preach for his people over whom he is an overseer, right? He is to have a burden. He is to have his finger on the pulse, if you will, of the church and consider when I'm getting ready to do a series. um, We were talking the other day about Sunday school lessons and maybe what direction to go and this and that and be praying about it. And when pastors pray about what's next, it should be really what the Lord would have me to teach, what the Lord would burden me to teach because the church needs this. This would be good for the body. This would, you know, I think a lot of times Preachers, I know this is the case, preachers have their pet doctrines or they have their pet uh, things that they like to emphasize and they a lot of times can get caught up in their agenda and what they like, right? Without really considering what's the health of my church? What's going on in the church? And addressing um, what the church needs, but um, as a messenger, I want us to consider, let's work our way through this a little bit, Looking at the churches of Ephesus and the responsibility of the messenger of God to the local churches. Um, This letter was not written to the multiple elders that we knew existed at Ephesus. It was written to the angel of the church of Ephesus. There is a man who, so regardless of how many elders might be in a church, there is a man who is responsible to God for that flock. They're supposed to be. A church without a pastor is a very needy church. And there's a lot of reasons why churches go through a period of time without having pastors. But churches who willingly, or they fall into, maybe they've been without a pastor, but then they fall into this mode and this cycle where they're okay with not having a pastor. Um, It's a very dangerous place because it's the Lord's church and the Lord has put these things in place for a reason. He knows... Does the Lord not know what we need and what processes work best, right? It's his church, and he has chosen the way in which his sheep are to be fed. And so, first I want to consider 
Um, the pastor should know his sheep. The Lord know. First, let's consider this. The Lord knows his churches. The Lord knows his churches. Let's look at a few of these verses. Uh, to the church in Ephesus in verse uh, chapter two and verse two. The Lord. Well, let's read verse one. Unto the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. I know thy works, and thy labor, and thy patience. And thou hast, how thou canst not bear them which are evil, and thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not, and hast found them liars. And is born and has patience, for my name's sake hast labored and hast not fainted. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee. And we'll pause right there. What I wanted us to notice is how the Lord says, remember, they're his churches. In a previous message, I emphasized how many times the word of God says the churches of God. The church of God, the churches of God, constantly. It's the churches of God. The Lord knows, it should be a sobering thought for those of us in this church. The Lord knows our works. He knows us. He knows us better than our pastor knows us. He knows us better than I know us. He knows this church better than each one of us individually know this church. Right? And so he's the Lord in writing to this church says, I know thy works and I know thy labor. I know all that you have done for me. I know your patience. I know all your good attributes. And I also know all of your failures. And I know all of your sin and all of those things. But the Lord knows His churches. Uh, Go down to uh, verse 9, to the church of Smyrna. Now these these aren't negative things. He says, I know thy works and tribulation and poverty. And notice this blessed thought. He puts in parentheses, but thou art rich. Amen. See, there's, there's some churches that believe that they're rich, and, and the Lord said, but you're poor. Right. But in this passage, the Lord says, I know your works. I know what you're going through. I know what your tribulations are, and I know of your poverty, but you're not poor. He says, but you're rich from a spiritual standpoint. And I know the blasphemy of them which say they are Jews and are not, but that are of the synagogue of Satan. And then there are words of encouragement there. Um, To the church of Pergamos, he says, I know thy works and where you dwell, and so forth. Every single church, he's in verse 19, church of Thyatira, I know thy works and charity and service of faith and patience and thy works. And the last shall be more than the first. And it just goes on and on. It's always always coming down to uh, go all the way to the end, the church of Laodicea in verse 14. Under the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things saith the Amen and the faithful, the true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works. And it's not a good thing. It says, I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would that thou wert hot or cold. So then, because thou art lukewarm and neither hot or cold, I will spew thee out of my mouth. So we first have to recognize that the Lord knows his churches the pastor should know his sheep over whom he watches as the under shepherd as the overseer the pastor needs to know his sheep because pastors are human and they cannot know the hearts of the men and because sometimes they also are part of the flock 
they get caught up. A lot of times pastors will get caught up when he tells the church of Laodicea, you're lukewarm. The pastor was probably lukewarm, right? When he writes to the church of Ephesus, the angel of the church of Ephesus, and he says, you've lost your first love. It's probably the case that the head pastor was really all about doctrine, and he didn't, he didn't miss anything when it came to doctrine. The pastor kind of lost his first love too. The letter first goes to the pastor of the church. And uh, um, the thing about in our day is the pastor's not going to receive a letter in the mail saying, thus saith the Lord. That would be, actually be a frightening thing. Can you imagine if you got a letter in the mail and it said to the angel of Calvary Independent Baptist Church, thus saith the Lord, I know thy works. I wouldn't want to read any further if I was a, if I was a pastor of a church or when I was did pastor. That's a, that's a sobering, daunting thing to actually hear directly from God. I know thy works, right? But there is a reality that this is real. We are serving a living God. This is a church of God. And the Lord does know our works. And what would it say if there was a letter written to Calvary Independent Baptist Church? What would it say? And so um, the pastor's not going to receive a letter in the mail saying, thus saith the Lord. But the pastor does have, thus saith the Lord. Right? And the pastor has to take this. These letters were addressed to those particular churches, but the pastor has to take this and feed his flock with what God has said uh, in this book. The angel, my next point, the angel has to first receive the letter before he can share with his church. The messenger of the church, he's the messenger. The messenger receives a word from God. This is my point. The, the messenger first has to get preached to, so to speak, from the word of God. The preacher has to be fed from the word of God before he then can go and feed the flock. Some of the best messages um, I believe that I've preached, um, and I know in speaking to other preachers, Uh, Sometimes the most convicting messages that are conveyed from the pulpit to the hearts of the listeners are the messages where God really got a hold of the preacher. And really, there was time spent weeping. There was time spent under conviction. There was time spent filled with the Holy Ghost during the study of the message. And that then was passed on. But the preacher had already been, God had already dealt with the messenger. And now it's his turn to relay the message to the church. And that's what we see happening here in these churches. Can you imagine being the pastor of Ephesus, verse 4? He gets this letter, he opens it up. It's from John, but it literally says, This letter is from him that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand and who walks in the midst of the seven candlesticks. And then imagine being the pastor of that church and getting, and you thought things had been going pretty good because you're really staking a stand for the truth. And then you get down to verse 4, and the pastor had to read it before he could share it with the church, and he says, 
Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Now notice, it was written to the angel of the church. Dear so-and-so, right? Timothy, whoever might have ended up being the pastor of this church. uh, Dear so-and-so, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Um, What about... Um, verse 14. Imagine being the messenger for this church of Pergamos. But I have a few things against thee because thou hast them that hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel to eat things sacrificed unto idols and commit fornication. So thou also hast them that hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which things I hate. Repent or else. Imagine being the messenger. And you have to now take this to your church and say, the Lord spoke to me through his word. And I have to tell you this, this isn't my opinion, but there's some things that we have to work on. The Lord has convicted me of the fact that this church has X and Y and Z going on. And this is what the word of God has to say about it. Imagine being the pastor who gets these letters. Um, Verse 20. Notwithstanding, the church of Thyatira, the pastor would have read, Notwithstanding, I have a few things against thee, because thou sufferest that woman Jezebel, which calleth herself a prophetess, to teach and seduce my servants, to commit fornication, and eat things sacrificed to idols. The angels reading this, knowing that he's responsible to God for this flock. Imagine being the one who's actually responsible to God for his church. And it's saying... I have a few things against thee because of what is being tolerated. And so, um, go then one more. I just want to look at one more. 3, uh, 14 through 17. Unto the angel of the church of Laodiceans write, These things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know thou works that thou art neither hot or cold. I would rather thou work cold or hot. So then, because thou art lukewarm and neither cold or hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. Imagine being the pastor of that church. What a wake up call this would have been. Now, there is a chance that the Lord would. Write a letter to the church and have nothing but good news. You know, I think a lot of times we almost make an excuse for our church because, well, there's no perfect church. Just like we do on a personal level, right? Don't we say things like, well, nobody's perfect. We're all sinners, you know. And so, of course, if the Lord was to write a letter to this church, then he would have something to say. But, you know, it doesn't have to be that way. It doesn't have to be that God would be displeased with us. Um, It is possible to please God. It is possible to please God. Um, So what if you were, by instead of these that we read, um, what about if you were the pastor of the church in uh, Smyrna, and it would have said, Under the angel of the church in Smyrna write, These things saith the first and the last which was dead and is alive. I know thy works in tribulation and poverty, but thou art rich. 
I know the blasphemy of them that say they're Jews and are not, but are of the synagogue of Satan. Fear none of those things which thou shalt suffer, because the devils shall cast some of you in prison. And you may be tried, and you shall have tribulation ten days, and be faithful to the death. Be thou faithful to the death, and I will give thee a crown of life. Now, if you received that letter as the pastor, it would maybe strike a chord of fear in your heart for a moment. But it's a lot better to be told, you're going to suffer for my sake, than it is, I want to spew you out of my mouth. Right? Those are two drastically... I I would hope that we would get a letter saying, uh, listen, um, in 2024, things are going to get real bad. And the persecution of the churches in North Idaho is going to be extreme. Therefore, be faithful to the end. That's okay. That's a good letter to get. Thanks for the heads up. <laughs> you know, but that's a lot different than getting a letter from the Lord of rebuke. The pastor. Part of one of the reasons I'm addressing this is there's an immense amount of responsibility on the shoulders of the pastor. He he's the overseer of God's church. And so um, the pastor must not only address shortcomings but instruct in ways of repentance. And this is what's important. It's easy, and a lot of preachers do this. They can go, man, an evangelist, I mean, it'd be easy for me to just go into any church and just read them the riot act and just tell them, thus saith the Lord, and you tell them everything that's wrong with how they're doing things, and then you get in your car and drive away. But that's not the goal. It's never the goal of the Lord to just destroy, right? Right? The yes, Darren, it really isn't my goal to destroy. <laughs> no, but but the thing is, is oh, when problems are brought up, when sin is brought up, when it's it's brought out, this is I know thy works, and here's some problems. The Lord doesn't leave us there. It's also the messenger's responsibility. You bear the bad news. But then it's your responsibility, it's the pastor's responsibility to say, here's what the Lord has to say about how it ought to be done, and this is where we should be, and this is how we're going to get there. And what is involved in that is repentance. Over and over and over through these letters. The letter's written to the angel of the church, and he says, this is what's wrong, and then it says, Here's what you need to do about it. It is possible for churches to fall away from the Lord in a lot of different ways. It's not impossible for a church to get right with God. It's the goal. It's the purpose. How quick are we? I'll just throw this in for free. But how quick are we to write off? We sit here on our high horse and we look at that church of whatever over there, the, the, the church of Laodicea that's over there in, in, in uh, Spokane. And I mean, they haven't done anything for God in a decade, right? And they're so lukewarm. I mean, it just makes me sick. And we can sit here and we could talk about this church and how God's done with that church. And I don't even think they have a candlestick anymore and all these things. But the reality is, is if churches repent, churches are churches even when they are not right. I mean, if you can't read 
the letters to the Corinthians. And you can't read the letters to the, here in to all these churches and understand that just because a church is doing things a certain way at a particular time, you don't know that God's done with that church. It may be that they need an angel to go to the Word of God and direct them in how they should get right and, and repent and get back on track. And so, oh, but the pastor must not only address the shortcomings, but instruct in ways of repentance. Look at uh, 2 and verse 5. The Lord says, Remember from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works. Or else I will come unto thee quickly and remove the candlestick out of its place, except thou repent. So we see repent here is used, is used twice. In chapter 2 and verse uh, 24. We could go through all these, but I'll just look at a couple of them. But I say, unto you I say, and unto the rest in Thyatira, as many as have not this doctrine in which have not known the depth of Satan as I speak, I will put on you none other burden, but that which you have already hold fast till I come. So there's instructions on um, repenting, and then we see here that there's instructions for those of you who have not fallen, keep on doing what you're doing. He says, hold fast till I come. And so we see that there are instructions. And then there's hope and encouragement. If there's nothing wrong that a messenger of the Lord, if the, if the pastor of the church doesn't see anything, isn't led of the Lord to address anything, that's wrong going on in the church. If a church is on fire for God, imagine. I think we have to imagine these things. Um, in our experience, it's not always that way. There is such a thing as a church on fire for God. This church could get totally on fire for God. God is doing things, but we can be more Holy Spirit filled. We can do more in serving the Lord. And there's a lot in these letters that's written where the Lord himself is saying, keep on doing what you're doing. And so sometimes the, the, the pastor has to encourage his people. Maybe they are on fire for God and he begins to see just a little bit or he just is addressing the fact of, I, I heard a message recently from a pastor of a church that the church is on fire for God and souls are being saved. And he was encouraging the church to keep on keeping on and don't stop being evangelistic and don't stop doing outreach just because the Lord is blessing greatly. Because there is that pattern that can happen. And so it's the pastor's responsibility, even when things are going really good, to encourage to let's just keep doing what we're doing. <laughs> The Lord is blessing. Let's just keep doing what we're doing. And so there's that um, also. And the Lord encourages um, the churches here. And it's the messenger's responsibility to uh, relay that message. And then think of what was... I love how the conclusions of all these letters. The conclusions, the encouragement... Verse 7 of chapter 2, He that hath an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh, I will give to eat of the tree of life, 
which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Verse 11, He that hath an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. He that overcometh shall not be hurt of the second death. And it goes on, He that overcometh, he that overcometh, he that hath an ear to hear. You go down through all these, and um, even the church of Laodicea, it says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and sup with him and he with me. To him that overcometh, I will grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame and have sat down with my father in his throne. You know what's an amazing thing? Is that every single messenger that received a letter from God, he got to share with the mess, and this is the way it should always be. He got to share with his church. Or he had the responsibility to share with his church. This is what we're doing wrong. Now this is what we need to get right. This is how we need to go about getting right. But then every single church, no matter what, he was able to relay this message. To him that overcometh, here are these promises. Right? And that's the message that needs to be constantly relayed over and over and over. Is that through the power of the Holy Ghost, of through the help of the Word of God, through us working together and being together as a church, being led by our pastor, we can overcome. We will, we will overcome. The promises, we will overcome. And to him that overcometh, here's, and that's what the, the, the joy in pastoring, there's a lot of responsibility, there's a lot of weight, but one of the joys in pastoring and being able to lead God's people is sharing with them the promises that we get to overcome, and one day all this will be over, and it'll be worth it all. And uh, we need to pray for our pastor and our pastors, because it's a very daunting, serious task, but it's the one that the Lord has given them.